Classic Horror Stories A Shadow on the Blind by Louisa Bolvin Hallibon Hall had stood empty for seven years. For seven years no smoke had issued from his chimneys, telling of the ch- cheerful heath. Without no voice or laughter been heard under its roof, no footstep coming or going across its threshold. A straggling growth of ivy, Virginia creeper, had covered the veils and veiled the windows made the front of the house look forlorn and neglected the face of a sick man who has grown a ragged beard during a long illness. The window steals a green, the drip of rain from the sprouts choked the decaying leaves, and brickwork was stained with dark patches of damp. Birds had built their nests undisturbed on every gable with project- projection under the roof. The wide chimney secure from the dangers being smoked out. There are comfortable quarters. And within the house, though a man had withdrawn his presence from it, other tenants were in possession. Rats and mice held their reveals. Empty ruins of passages that resounded with the patter of their feet, a squeal of their voices, a nibbling of their teeth. A dead of night, bold as they had grown, they scared themselves by catching in wires. The set bells ringing and echoing through the house. Larmy rats would rush helter-skelter down the great staircase, banning over one another's backs in their panic, as we see them depicted in illusions of the famous story, famous history of Wellington and his cat. The dissolution resided at Hamilton Hall, its gardens were returning to a state of savage nature. The granker growth of weeds choked and overtopped the flowers and shrubs. No seeds had been sown, no lawns mowed, no hedges clipped, no tree or bush pruned in seven long years. And once all the gardens become a tangled thicket where a fairy prince might seek the sleeping beauty, a bramble had sprung up, the spent sundial grasping its thorny arms, threw its branches about it, effectively hiding if in the light of the day, the stone basin was disused, pounding, come a nursery of young frogs. A hot swam and croaked and disturbed nature, was endowing, endeavouring to re-establish its sway. A man of a jawn is cultivating restraining hand. A radiant day in June, the hot sun poured down and tangled overgrowth, the gardener's habit and hall. Birds with perfect right of song, Southwest wind rocked them on the bar. Even the old forsaken house in each on such a day wore its least sombre aspect. One could imagine there had been happy household life. His walls responsible to scheme. It might again resound to laughter and voices of children at play. Such some such thoughts as this must have entered the mind of an elderly gentleman driving by an open carriage. His wife had pale grey Hair lady seated beside him. Mr. Stackpole was a cheerful, energetic man of sixty years of age, a strong likes and dislikes and sudden impulses. He's caught sight of the weird front of heaven on the hall with its red gables glowing in the sun. A confused mess of creepers almost hiding lower stories from view. He told the coachman to draw up the iron gates of the entrance. It's a very picturesque house, my dear. I should like to have a look at it, he said to his wife. It may be the kind of place we are in search of. He lighted from the carriage as nimbly as a young man to read and notice. Painted on over stained board, 
fastened the gates for mission. We view these premises by the Mr. Judd Sexton on the church, by the church. Mr. Stackpole returned the carriage and bade the coachman back drive to the church. The towers of which he could see bowed through among the trees, apparently not more than a quarter of a mile distant. It drove, he continued. I like the look of the place very much. I'm sure there's something with it. I could just enjoy setting the work upon it to call order out of the chaos. Six months I could undertake to effect an entire transformation of the house and grounds to make it one of the prettiest places in the neighborhood. What do you think, my dear? Hey, fair-looking elderly lady. Last address made a but a faint rejoinder. Husband is also the queen of physicism. By no means communicate yourself to her. Over all was the six old house to which Mr. Stockpole had taken a fancy in the last ten years, fallen out of love with quickly after exercising his dignity, putting in a perfect order, living in it for a short time. It was his aversion. Now that he had retired from business and had, had nothing particular to do to hunt up old country houses, pulling through modern repair and living in working order, living them just long enough to drew his wife to hope. He had pitched his tent and finally, and a demon unrest would break out in him once more. He's off again on the old quest. He's hunting of houses, catching them, and letting them go. He might pursue game of the same kind elsewhere was naturally more entertaining to Mr. Topple than it could be to his wife and daughter. The elder lady was patient and fisodosotic, and her daughter said pregnantly, Oh, Mama, what a shame if we have to be dragged about this country like this. It has not been a year in this lonely house, and Papa is tired of it already. Looking out again for some tumble-down old place, put a good order, and leave it too, I suppose, Mrs. Topple. Say, never mind, Elder, Ella, Papa must do as he thinks best. Excitement and interest he finds is frequently changing house as necessary to have him there. Him now he is done with business. Remember, my dear, he no home occupations to pass the time like you and I have. But Stockpole was now married and settled in a home of her own. Only other child, a son, was stationed his regiment in Malta. Therefore, is that when Mister Stockpole became suddenly interested at the appearance of Hubble Hall, his wife was unable to visit him on the subject. At last home, been in Cornwall. Uh, after six months spent in the most restly corner, Mr. Stockpole discovered that everyone else had always known it was in the rainy part of England. He could scarcely have been more astonished at the quality of rain. He fell, had been in Egypt, and he fled to London to make that his headquarters. While he looked about for an old house to suit his fancy, a drier part county of Surrey, and his bright. June day, he and his wife were driving through the fair county house. Hunting, the most dilapidated in the house look it looked. Provided with experience, I circled pitcities of improvement about it. More attractive it appeared to Mr. Stackpole. He's affording wider scope for his peculiar form of genius. He is a ghostly hobby, and strangers reap the benefit of the lustily outlay of our houses, perfected, tired of, less so soon. Mr. Dad the Sexton was found without difficulty, but indeed he was a conscientious subject. Suspicious subject, sitting in a large armchair by his Scottish door, reading his newspaper, taking a cage of sip from a glass of cold brandy, and water stood beside him, 
a window still, person of dignity in the village, accustomed to waste his own time and that of others. But Mr. Stockbull hurried him out of, off to the carriage as soon as he had found the keys, crowned him on wanted activity. The garden don't be wilderness, sir, said the old man. I've been one of the open, great open iron gates. It's four years since you, courier, was made about the place. It wouldn't be anyone's taste, you see. I need a considerable outlay before it's fit for habitation, said Mr. Stockpool. Complacently, he stooped his single abide from his wife's skirt. Who were the last tenants and how, how long they lived here? He said, turning to the old man, asking two questions at once. Sir Edmund Shord and his wife added it to us, sir. They took the place to twenty-one years lease. At last uncommon sudden, in five years or more to run. There's a deal to talk, and won't leave him that way. Judd walked open wide the front door as he spoke. He entered a large, lofty hall, smelling mouldy as though they were vaults below. Folks did say there were reason more than they'd grown up to, but I was ready to run out of all of a sudden. He was running away from the plague. I was such a look mysteriously as though he longed to be Christian, Mr. Stockpool, and there was too much interest in pacing the length of the dining room, and as any hints he might throw out. My dear, he said to his wife, who was resting on the window seat, you have all this, have the whole oak floor polished, and Turkish ropes laid at intervals. That is just what we did in our house in Cumberland, said Mrs. Stockpool gently. If you remember, you're not too pleased with that what, when it was done. Turning to the old man, you were going to tell us why Sir Colonel Shaw left us suddenly. Forbid, forbid, forbid. But I sure say you different why you left, not knowing for certain, the judge swelling, swelling with importance as he spoke. I never believed more than half what I would have heard, and puts no faith in tales of a master's or men's. Why, what I can make out, Old Jimmy Judge can see for a storm as far as most folks. As you say, his ghost was the bottom of the whole kick-up. His top pole smiled at the old man's mode of expressing himself, looked anxiously towards her husband, and half heartily left the dining room for upstairs regions, which is impatient, which is impatient to explore. They fled off before ghosts, did they? said Mr. Stockpole, still laughing at the idea. If the house is supposed to be haunted, I should like to better the interpretation, throwing open the door of a large, low room, a bare, protecting chimney place, a wide window, letting in a flood of sunlight. It's certainly a very cheerful aspect, said his wife, stepping into a window and looking out upon the wild garden, closed by ragged hedges, knowing ghostly about this room, at all events. Poof! Ghosts! Indeed! Who would believe in him deserved to see them, said Mr. Stackpole, contemptuously. Yeah, take the house, this shall be our morning room. You'll get plenty of sunshine. It's a great thing for you. If I like the room under it, I'll have it done up for business room for myself. We <coughs> <coughs> wandered from the clinic cellar to the attic, the big house. Mr. Stackpole laden for the possibilities of the place, noting his pocketbook, the dimensions of the chief, chief rooms and of the entrance hall. At all events, we shall inquire on what terms 
How's this to be let? He said, after spending two hours of intently inspecting the premises. He slipped five shillings into Mr. Joe's expectant palm. By the way, you have to not to ask who is the landlord. And if so it be many, and not one, that a man named a well-known city company to which the property belonged. I rented for landlords and landladies and trustees, not never yet from a company. It's all one to me. To see their agent and it tomorrow in town tomorrow. We stopped Paul, took a farewell, and a look at the room and the ground floor immediately under the room at the head of the stairs. We decided it was prospect use. We decided it was exactly adapted to be for his requirements. Of which they treaded their way back to the gates for their liquid maze of the garden. How do you like, like a look of head of a hall? He asked his wife as they drove away. What do you think of the old place? Confess they're not very faintly impressed with it. That is handsome, well built house. May made might to be made very comfortable, no doubt. It struck me with a kind of chill. So it wouldn't any place, my dear. I'd been shut by seven years. Felt it my way back there. I wish it may not mean an attack of Lombago for me, Mr. Stone Stackbridge smiled, literal invitation of words. Don't mean that kind of chill. But a sort of depression, foreboding feeling, never had before than the houses that you and I've been over together. And their name is and the name is Legion. Why now? You don't mean to say that Trenchard's old Saxon was frightening you with his gothic, merely some nonsense of the other, made out to increase his importance. I take the place I should put an army workman in the army of workmen a week from now. Then next you see it, good fires drying the rooms, bright and clean. Papers and bits busy upon it. It would look und- very different, I can assure you. Any house has been uninhabited as long as Hamilton Hall feels wears. A fair look, but all I see the possibilities of it. I could make it a prettiest place we have a living yet. We stopped, Paul felt certain. Husband would take the old house. For indeed, Mr. Stepple saw the company's agent. He was surprised at the very moderate rent asked for the house. Whether he wished to take it on lease or yearly, the rent tenant, some demanded was small enough to rouse suspicion. Most unwary. Why do you ask such a low rent for a fine place like that? He asked. Not so much all out of repair, but standing empty so long. I suppose the company's willing to submit to a certain loss for the sake of making it inhabited again. As such a temptation to low rent, how is that not been taken long ago? There have been any number of applications for it. Indeed, the old fellow in charge of the keys has showed me. I was released yesterday. Had not one had quit right about it for four years, a particular expression of the agent's face. Not one of surprise. He said so, did he? I had plenty of inquiries. He certainly said so. He's talking to old man and anxious to press us. And you said that Wood Shaw left Helen Hall suddenly, while well, some considerable time before he leases up. Concrete has a certain notion the house is haunted. Now, personally, I care nothing about it. Wife is sometimes nervous. I thought I would ask you, do you know anything of unusual sanctions connected with his having even so abruptly? Jordan is a trapping old fool. Did he tell you anything to fit anything about himself? said the agent. Having once ever, he said some nonsense about ghosts driving them away from the place. Of course, that was a third story. He got that about at the time. It was good pokers back with magic lantern, I believe. He got up by his own fellows to frighten the servants with their pictures of a skeleton. I hung up, shh, somewhere or another. The whole thing was a stupid practical joke. 
Are you successful? A scam spread to ladies of the house. Of course, said Edward. Eleanor was to leave and made a place and so up for him. Agent laughed unvarously. I shall all remember all about it now you come to ask me. Young Shaw's got up the picnic on their own purposes. They found the country too slow for them. They wanted to live in London. So they sent all the rectories of Vanity Lantern, sheet of blind, and were frightened the family. Back in the town, and got what he wanted, actually, said Edward. You used not to speak of what he found out, but no one is proud of having been made a fool of. Now, my dear sir, he said, assuming of great candor, you know as much about this childish folly as I do myself. I have been magnified in something wonderful, but attempting property on our hands, and all these years in conquerance. Mr. Sackpole was pleased and moved. Agent's frank explanation of the basis of Mr. Judd's mysterious illusions. He and his wife laughed at it all together over the evening dinner. Mr. Sackpole was well willing and patient. Her husband to take over the hall. He did a year lieutenant with the right to take a property on a lease. At the end of three years, he felt inclined to prolong his stay. There began a delightful bustle that Mr. Sackpole's soul loved. The drying, warming, painting, lighting, decorating, furnishing the house, the taming, creaming the garden, the strubbing up the old lawns, laying down a new turf, cleaning with gravelling the weed, going past such an army of workmen, those who gave her that Mr. Sockpool, carrying in less than five months the house ready to go into, the gardens all clean and smooth and bare there, while into tidiness. It must be finished by the middle of December, he said, and may you keep Christmas here with my family. Every man has done his work well. And the other house by the 12th of December to give them one, uh, give one, each one a bonus, his wages, and a Christmas supper to you all. I wonder that the workman caught something of Mr. Sockwood's vision. Every time he brought his wife to see was going on, she was delighted with the progress made. All her friends were informed of the lucky find, a beautiful house in Surrey, station issued long before a series of entertainments, dances and private theatricals, intended to give a federal hall the following January. His daughter, Miss Beaumont, and her husband would be staying with them. Shortly before Mr. and Mrs. Topple, we moved to Tabley Hall, dining out one evening. Our ladies had left their room. Gentlemen had rearranged their chairs company, proceeded on their wine. Mr. Topple gained his favourite theme, the furniture repairing, old house in Surrey. Most of it, those present frequently heard him, so did it before. He had not, not much heeded. And posed on without interruption till a tall, bawdy gentleman caught him opposite, caught the words of the hall, came an attentive listener. How did all did you say? Do you hear me in the old gabbled brick, brick house? He miles from Middleton to Surrey? Hope not, no friend of yours is thinking about taking it. Mr. Topwell smiled, not exactly a friend of mine, but I probably I know him better than anyone else. I've taken her all myself, tend to moving into it next December. Just as you do, said the old lady gentleman, setting down his glass. I don't know why it should surprise you, said Mr. Thoughtful. So I rose it certainly not, and he thought the house was empty, and likely to remain so. Surely he had been incidentally long enough for seven years, remains an quite immense deal doing to it. Of course, by the look, it took a fancy to the place, putting into it for a repair, inducing electric light, among other modern improvements, in fact, and sparing expense. You know anything about Harrington Hall? Harrington Hall? I used to, Sir Edmund Shaw, the last son, is my brother. Boy-headed gentleman spoke in a dry, committed manner. A hint was not enough for Mr. Stockpole. 
Then you're the very first to tell me the sad story I've heard about something to do with Magic Lantern. It leaves some kind of scared of young people. Go out to pretend they're no their bogies and ants. Find their parents back to town. They prefer to live. You see, I heard all about it. They want it everything by a member of the family. He laughed loudly. Though it was the best joke in the world, but the gentleman opposite him grew grave and severity, so I was unable to understand your delusion. The magic lantern performance, which was supposed to have tried over others' nerves, as said is the last word applicable to senses which Sir Roland was compelled to leave Hampton Hoven Hall. I must have been misinformed in the matter by the undaunted Mr. Stockpole, whose currency was now thoroughly aroused, and I'm about to live in the house. You tell, tell me real successes. I may be able to contradict the foolish stories that one hears. Why should it be necessary for you to contradict gossip? Subject, for Roland never mentions it. It's possible that some time you might learn for yourself why my brother left the house. I think you'd be satisfied. He acted wisely. If not, I should be sorry to prejudice you against Hamilton Hall. And the gentleman rose and joined the ladies. Mrs. Stockpool refrained in a state of mystification. Apparently, something has happened to drive Sir and was sure his family from the Hamilton Hall, which old Judd, Lord Agent, was acquainted. What could it be for himself so long as it was neither rats nor drains? He didn't care his wife it was different. If she was least linking as anything uncanny about the house, she refused to go in at the level flower. As she went, she made a point to see a ghost that very first dark night. Very first dark night. She must not hear so no say talk about it. A ghost that former habits of the home imagined he saw was when they went in the house. Starting in their own shadow, so then by the dim light of oil lamps, electric light would put that to rights. It's the best cure for such preposterous folly. In illumination, Mr. Stockpill felt that he would be more than a match for all the powers of darkness. But shortly after meeting Mr. Ronald, Charles' brother, an odd coincidence happened. He drew his attention again to the subject of conversation. Mr. Stockpill went into her son at Malta, telling him. That his father had taken an old house in Surrey, which he'd fallen in love. How beautiful he was, fitting it up, and expected to keep Christmas in it. That it was Harrowburn Hall. I hoped to welcome him to England with fly Jack wrote. So my father is again on the move. By this time, I'm glad he's taking you to fairly uncomfortable place and not to Cornwall, Cumberland. But in the old house, he's taken a fancy, not far from Minnerton. I suppose there can't be two Hamilton Halls in the county. It's not that if it's a house of name, I've lately heard something about. There's a young civilian out here for his health. He's gone to Egypt now. Tell me he's his uncle, Sir Ronald Smith, a sort of such name, being fairly driven out by an old house, sorry, by ghosts. Sure, he called it Hamilton Hall. He said that his uncle, not least another man, more he could stand, he had to leave. Which now I'd asked him all about it. He was such a dull chap, nothing he said was interest me. I lost the chance of learning peculiar particulars. Then you be timid, dear brother. Let me tackle the bogies when I come home. I should enjoy nothing better. Mr. Stackpole did not like this that is at all. It reduced an eerie and creepy sensation. I was took care not to increase her discomfort by telling her his conversation with Mr. Shaw. It's out to my dear very odd. He said in the most cheerful tones, and we objected to confess that somewhat, how or another, someone or another received some sort of fright at Hamilton Hall. 
Nothing can be more vague, and yet that's all that is known about it. Pity the whole city business not inquired to the on the spot, but of course they would make the perfect of a perfectly simple solution. Very likely one the maize is sucked rather more heavily than usual on the cold pork. Proximum of the vegetation walked in her sleep, somehow got sorry into a white nightgown. Togo goes to scream, got up a scare. It's always easy to cry out than to investigate. And there you have your whole story about a ghost story. Nutshell, my dear, in a nutshell. The workman punctual out of Hamburg Hall on the day agreed upon. As when they received their pay, the Christmas supper, the house was ready for the section, the new tenant. The good wishes that all would have helped you prepare it for him. Stop well raised, it was, should arrive after that Hamilton Hall. He might surprise his wife electric light, every room and passage, and induce her to the very home under its most cheerful and attractive aspect. They approached the house, both Mrs. Stackpole and her daughter exclaimed with delight, and they said it was too pretty to be real, something out on the stage. From every window of the house, from the basement to the garret, seeing the pure radiance of electric light, undimmed by curtain of blind, sending shafts of light far into surrounding darkness, and porch of white light illuminated a drive like a cold sunshine, it showed every pebble on the ground and every twig on the bare flowers. There, my dears, said Mr. Stockpole triumphantly, his lady's wife and daughter of the brilliant half. Oh, this is how modern science drives very way foolish fevers, foolish fears of darkness by turning a light into day. No one could be serious of nervous or afraid of ghosts in a house light like this. No, indeed, the thing would be impossible, played Mrs. Stockpole, a daughter and son-in-law confirmed for the chorus. Curses have kept both fervently having to haul. It's impossible to say who's most delighted with the house, host or hostess, a guest, and his hospitality will roof. Each was charmed by his own room, Mr. Stockpole. Earl's morning room was a granular favourite, and after tea was frequently taken, their preference of the more stately drawing room. Gradually played in empty rooms upstairs the rainy days, evening and watched the miracle of lightning. The house of mere electric light with breathless interest, and Gregorian Grandpa's lamp producing wizards, so something of awe was mingled with their wildest frolics, and they did not dare to open the door. His own peculiar room, which is respectfully called a study, which the principal use was to smoke in or take a quiet nap off before dinner. It's the end of January that Stockpoles were daily congratulating themselves on their good fortune of meeting with a house that perfectly suited all the requirements when they wound up their New Year's festivities with a fancy ball. Several young people staying in the house for the occasion were to be part of the day after ball leaving their hosts and hostesses alone for the first time in a new house. Numbers of guests were coming from a distance, many of whom accepted an invitation out of curiosity, and dance afforded great opportunity of spending the night under cheerful aspects house reputation of being haunted. All oh, their entrances attainments so far being successful, alas, was to be the best, the hosts and hostesses, with their whole souls in preparations to ensure complete success. The room was charming, perfect for perfect the band to come, the town the most renowned of the season. Costume to be worn no special time or country. The stock poles themselves set example, a reckless cafeterie in the manner of the hostess being dressed as Queen Elizabeth, husband and admiral on the fleet of today, a Mr and Mrs Beaumont, 
figure respectfully is a Japanese lady in furnished metador. So I am the guest of Rai, clad in naive all ages and countries. But women appear to be such a motley crew fong as a day judgment alone could bring together. Here an ancient Greek dancer, a Swedish peasant, black prince of a female captain of the Salvation Army, and in a town a nun walks gaily past Herzrak and Balagale. Hedrick was a great dwarfity, and it's now and it is now. Guests were loud in admiration of Fairy Planet's appearance. House as they approach with brilliance within. It's the top always light as a child with a new toy. Led his friends about showing about them how by merely turning a button on the wall he could plunge the room into darkness or flood it with raining light. Dances are kept up for a great spirit to the small hours. The clock of the hall chimed at a quarter past three. The old house is added to half sad, holy romantic stains. Drains of a waltz by rest of Vosdral. The guests who came from a distance and began to depart. His brother stood on the porch laughing, seeing a lady Graham and Vora MacDonald into the carriage. Just as the maid gave the message to one the footman to Miss Beaumont, who sat fanning herself near the door of the ballroom. If you please, madam. Nurse says Mary must have to wake, crying with music. Says he won't go to sleep till he sees you, madam. Tell nurse has come directly. Excuse yourself to the lady who sat next to her. She slipped out of the room in the hall. She met her father, who's entering his study. I'm going out of this miserable little crumpets by, he said, smiling and nourishing the Admiral cropped hat, which he had gaily carried the whole evening for his great inconvenience. I am on my way to the nursery to see little Harry to Mr. Beaumont. Ran upstairs, singing softly to the sweet music that floated from the ballroom. Mr. Stockpole had laid his hat on the table and looked at the clock on the main table. Had to be so quarter past three until the young people ought to be. Hi ho, I'd rather give ten minutes than one dance. He yawned profoundly, sank in a low chair by the fire, stretched his legs out before him, closed his eyes, fell, sleep fell upon him. Instantly, for several minutes, he lost in its depths, light and sound, and ceased to exist for him. His brain was steeped in slight, silent darkness. Mr. Belmont still stood the porch of soaps, returned to the house. He was alone. The wild winter's night, he flung a cloak over his metal costume, stepped into the open air. I shan't be missed for five minutes, he said to himself, while he smoked a cigarette. He walked briskly along a broad path, a thirty yards from the house, by which he had a perfect view of the front of her wall. And very pretty it was, cheerful brightness looked about, looked against the dark background, the star-set sky, brilliant rays of light shot from the draped windows, there had blinds drawn, down showed the outline of objects in the wind room thrown upon its dimmest shadow, clear as them, them as a magic lantern. Vondry raised his eyes to the window of Mrs. Stockpole, sitting room and stood rooted to the spot. Two figures were clearly defined as the shadows, visible in the pure square, the blind of the shadows, the old men and young men struggling together, the shape of the heads. George Mama saw they were raw wigs, and there was this clearly cut shadow with ruffles in the wrists. A young and a taller man wore a large skinny and kirk, rich lacy ends around his neck. At first he thought they might well guess dressed in costume of the early Georgian period, though they had gone upstairs into that room. Why would there a deadly struggle between them? He did not know. But one of speculation was swallowed by terrified interest. He watched the course of the brief conflict. The other men stopped considerably. Appearing to be unarmed, seized a younger man by the throat, 
Then he shook himself free, quickly back, drew aside and plunging forward his right foot, where he punched through the body. He sagged backward and fell out of sight before the low of the window. There remained only shadow, the younger man, in clear profile, a blind. He stood for a minute, looking downward, and George Bobbitt, time reserved, the finely cut features of a total stranger. He saw that he wiped the blade, his sword turned, walked away, his shadow passed out of sight, leaving the window blind a blink. Loomis Square. He doors at the same time Mr. Stockpole awake from his sleep by a sound. His wife's sitting room overhead. He sprang to his feet, every facility concentrated listening. <coughs> and noiseless chairs, rope pushed back, I sat on the polished store floor. <coughs> scuffling feet as these two men were scuffling, struggling together. And both sides, a loud stamp. And he fell forward and seemed to shake the scene, followed by bow groans. Good God, what well, can be the problem? Matter, cried Mr. Stockpole. He rushed from the room into the hall. Front doors still open. Through the inner glass doors were closed. Neither his son-in-law nor his servants were there. He stopped to call nobody, but ran upstairs to his wife's room. His daughter came quickly down. Story above, with a white and terrified face of Papa. Someone just frightened me so. But whoever it is is in there. I saw him going to Mother's room a few minutes ago. So glad you'd come. Although I dare not follow him. Without asking Eleanor who of whom she's asking, Mr. Stockwell flung the door wide open. I rushed in the room. No one was there. Not a chair nor a table displaced. Electrolyte illuminating every corner. The room forbade the possibility anybody being hidden, hiding. It's the most extraordinary thing, he exclaimed, wiping the perspiration of terror. His brow, he spoke. I would not have any have any mother know of it in the, for the world. Have you seen him too? said Walter faintly. I've seen him, child, said. Seen what? No, I've seen nothing, but I've heard enough to let me let left me for my lifetime. God forbid I should hear it now again. Again, he looked about the room and under the table, fairly stupefied with amazement. He passed me on the stairs just as I came out of the night nursery to Mr. Beaumont, anxious to tell her experience without wanting, waiting to hear her father's. A tall young man ran quick, quickly, is it, uh, by, by me, dressed in a blue coat with ruffles and the wrists and a drenched, a great lace cravat, a leg tied with a ribbon at the back. He carried a long, thin sword in his hand. At first, I thought it was Newton, Arthur Newton. Well, I've had a wig like this this evening. I remember his coat was black. He worked earlier. He saw his face as a stranger. He looked cool and passionate. I followed him and saw him go into his room and shut the door and after him. After him. Then where the devil is he now? said Mr. Stockpole. He's in some miserable practical joke. But I'll get the bottom of it. Be even, be even with them yet to get the bottom of it. As he spoke the door, that he had taken the precaution of clothes, clothes burst open. So Laura entered in his matador dress, pale breathless, looking as if the ball turned and given him chase. Oh, George, have you seen him too? said his wife. Do you hear anything? said Mr. Stockpole. Stockpole? Sit down, man, you're trembling off it like a leaf. There are two of them, an old man and a young man in this room a minute ago. God's name, who are they? Why did they not stop before the murder, the murder was done? Said it suddenly. The stockpole grew quiet and self-collected. Sighted his son-in-law's agitation. Put yourself together, George. Tell me what you mean. There's something up tonight. That means 
up to the night that needs explaining. But where were they? They were in this room, as they were with them. You must have witnessed what happened, or if you only come upstairs. Just now, you might have met the young man. In the room, the old man would never stir again. He lifted the tablecloth and looked on the table. How come you speak comfortably or to though in this room a few minutes ago? Then you were, were upstairs all the while, said Mr. Tuckpole. I was smoking a cigarette in the garden after seeing the Winston's off. Walking the wild bull path when I looked up at Mamma's sitting room window and saw the window of a set of blue men and a blind showed up. Electric light as clear as sharp as in a magic lantern. So the perfect perfectly, but not knowing their faces. They wore wigs tied behind their raffles at their waist. A younger, tall gentleman, they saw by his shadow, wore a long, a lace stunic round his neck. He struggled together. The old man grasped the old man by the young man's throat. He tore himself free, drew his sword and ran him through the body. He fell below the level of the window, out of sight. The younger man stood for a moment, and it's right saw them moved away and left blank, blind a blank sheet of white. Good God! I heard it all in my room below in the struggle, the fall, the deep groans, said Mr. Stockpole. I met the young man, if it, uh, and I met the young man, as if it was some, anything human, passed me on the stairs, said my daughter. So said the daughter sees it her father. But oh, my papa happened to know what it's all did. People write about it. Do not do let us leave this special place tomorrow. The concluding notes of the sad Manchester Falls sighed through the house as he spoke. Mr Topwell shook his head. I don't see how this can be done, for your mother must be not be frightened. For heaven's sake, try to look as if nothing had happened. We shall be missed downstairs or go. You two must manage to bide your our guests good night. Decently, not to alarm those who remain tomorrow. You must not rouse suspicion, George. Fetch a glass of champagne. It will do her good. Adele, don't leave me alone, cried Mrs. Beaumont, like a frightened child. I will send wine for you both, said my father. Amid, mind you must follow me directly. Mr. Tuckpool rejoined his guests, who had not missed him. And there, in the midst of last dance, with much freshness and enjoyment, as if he'd been part of the evening, a late full of guests had departed except those composing the house party. A lady soon retired, even a gentleman to have a smoke in a billiard room. You don't look very well, Beaumont, said the young man dressed as a tolerant peasant. He lit a cigar and looked up his pallid, pale face. It's nothing old worldly waltzing makes me giddy. He makes himself some brandy and soda. One by one the guests bed good night and left the room till they were all rem- only remained. Mrs. Paul, his son-in-law, Mrs. Stance and a gentleman with very long legs, wearing tights, displayed them to advantage. Your father-in-law, no, he took Hamilton Hall that he was supposed to be haunted. He said to the low voice of Mr. Beaumont, Mr. Paul, for having to hear the question, played to himself himself, heard some thought discussed it on the subject, of, 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 of course, no place stands empty so long, a legend being invented to account for the fact, but I am not a man to listen to vulgar chatter, I took the house to be very highly delighted with it. At a moment, but only my son-in-law, father's admirable self-possession, just so electric light is a true cure for a supposed supernatural, because you know how suddenly Sir Roland's door left the place. Oh yes, we heard all about that, said Mr. Topple. Causing a laugh. Do you know? I doubt whether you ever heard it all about it. At least, if you have, 
You must be a cheerful sort of person, and if you can laugh at all, Mr. Lonson, then, why, of course, the whole thing was a false practical joke, something connected to the magic lantern, if I remember rightly. Magic lantern? I never heard the word mentioned, nor I, if you cared to hear the truth about it. I think I can, I can tell you. I lived in the country all my life. I know the story happened to all by heart. Any one of you didn't, don't, should not tell you now. If you thought it would make you nervous, but since you put in the electric light and done up the house, perhaps so for a modern style, the whole place has changed. Anyone might enjoy living here. Let's hear the story, said Mr. Stockball Mr. Bradley. The sea aroused your curiosity. The story goes that some hundred and fifty years ago, there lived in his house a certain father and son, paid one of it like the devil. It's needed to say that there was a woman in the case, a fortunate, a fortunate state. That old man must have been an uncommonly bad lot. He said that grossly insulted the young lady, his son, who was about to marry, having in first appearance proposed to her himself, and then refused. The old man, two men a deadly quarrel at his very house. Outshot was the man, son, mad passion, when his father threw his heart, killing him on the spot. Now I shan't say anything more about it. It is far too much for you, said Mr. Lipston. Trapped by the white faces before him. Go on, go on, said Mr. Stockpole. Well, one winter's night, now eight years ago, said Sir Roland, she was coming through home late. Walking through across the garden, he looked out the window, a window, a room, saw the first floor, the light was burning, he saw on the blind, Clear outline, the there shadows of old man, his son struggling together. He saw the young man run his father through the body of his rapier. Cannot bear it, cannot bear it, said George Beaumont, pale as death, looking ready to faint. You certainly, you could but say, you've seen the grim shadows yourself, it's certainly a horrid story, though I cannot say I believe in ghosts myself. I can offer no explanations for details I forget I've given you. So Roland believed it. He has a clear headed, it's clear headed. May affect sort of person. Other members of his family too saw the herd uncountable things that night. But his son, who was sitting up late for his father, met showed him an evil looking fellow dressed in a blue coat and wearing a powdered tie wig, hurrying along an upper case passage, carrying a naked rapier in his hands. The lady shawls walked, wait by sand on the room next hers. Which is the room where the shadows are seen are blind, of sound of struggling, and settling of chairs, followed by heavy fall and groans. Now, if only one person thought he'd heard or seen uncountable things, Sir Roland would have been made the best of it, and stayed around Hampton Hall by Jove the three rational beings of each eye or eye witness who becomes intolerable. Whether you believe in ghosts or not, you can't put up with a thing like that. By heavens, you can't. You can't. It's true, said Mr. Stockpool, by means of his brow. And now, Linton, you have told me this. i tell you something in turn. I and my family leave Hampton Hall tomorrow for precious reason. I drove Mr. Roland Shaw out of it eleven years ago. Never. As sure as I am alive, we we'll leave here tomorrow. I must find some reason for our sudden flight. But we must go, we must. I will not have my life alarmed. I will not spend another night in a house of the world, said Home Belmont. But my dear Mr. Stockpool, I hope I have said nothing. I said that you have made a strong resolution. But imagine it is a sight, so by what you've heard, there cannot possibly be any cause why you should leave this charming place. You have fitted out to your own taste, said Mr. Liston smoothly. The story you told us, it helped you to explain what you knew. I told you this very night, a couple of hours ago, in a blaze of electric light, 
the house full of company. But my daughter and myself had seen the sight. It sounds. They drove Ronald Shaw out of his home hall. We leave tomorrow, rather or rather today. But it's nearly six o'clock. Now never to spend another night under his cursed roof. But Mr. Stockpole's voice shook as he spoke. I have one more, only one, only question added. He would treat this communication strict confidential. For neither Bowman nor I can speak to be spoken about what's happened occurred tonight. Where are was Mr. Mr. Stockpole's intelligent curiosity and subject of ghosts overcome his courage? Why well, never been satisfied? The other doubted. Daunted, he had not the slightest desire to remain invest, investigate the mystery. At last breakfast, Mr. Stockpole, struck by periods of a family, it would have been difficult to say which more Poe and Haggard, husband or daughter, or her son-in-law, they made a poor excuse that late hours not suit their dancing, their dancing not them up, looking them up. She told him them they looked like very young children who had been to the first performance by the night before. The last guest was gone, Mrs. Stockpole. That Paul saw there was something seriously disturbing her husband. There was a lost account for his changed humour. My dear, we'll go to town this afternoon with George and Ella, Said he said with quick decision. Puzzle supervised his wife calmly. You of course can go if you like, but I really cannot. I'll come with me as my ma. You know how much Papa wishes it to her daughter. Yes, I could do come with us, urged her son-in-law with unwanted Dimar. Though it's not so long since we met, because they had spent the last month together. Miss Tapple Tall laughed. Eventually some deep laid plot among you free to hurry me off. Well, if you were, uh, will be any happier by coming with you, uh, you do so. It must be convenient to leave home. So the way, said the good night to lady. They travelled to London that next day, never returned to Herberton Hall. Mr. Topwell, so managed, his wife did not know his real reason, giving out the most charming house they had ever lived in. He preferred that she would retain her to his restless and caprice, rather than her nerves to be shaken by hearing the truth. Consumed, so did a fashionable physician, first giving him a hint he wished to be ordered off to the Fair for France, reading a hint he given, told his long suffering wife that Dr. Blank had recommended him to go abroad at once in two days on route to Marseille's Mr. Stutpole was accused of her husband of impulse irregular angular movements. He did not greatly disturb her, but when a week later he said he decided to give up Hamilton Hall and took to a place somewhere in the eastern countries. Which is yet unbought a trillion grown ground to him. She shed tears the present disappointment, protective fatigue. The merchant and during lady had dried her eyes, husband was in lubed to her in every detail, indeed to every reason, the real one for which she's leaving their beautiful home. She said, My dear, if you do not know about better, I'll be forced to believe you're not too had seen the ghost that frightened Sir Roland, sure out of Hamilton Hall eight years ago. 